Please be seated. Let me invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've been with us for the past several weeks, for the better part of those weeks, we have been looking at Jesus' kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13. But now having come to the Advent season, we're going to take a break and we're going to begin a, a topical series uh, that I am titling Wise Men Give Gifts. And this morning, before we get into how we may give gifts to the Lord, uh, we want to focus on the gift that the Lord has given to us in the person of Jesus. And the Apostle Paul expresses that for us very well in a number of places, but particularly here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Before we read the word, well, let's, uh, let's read the word and then go to the Lord in prayer. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. May the Lord bless us and give us understanding from his holy word. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this time we have committed to studying I pray more than studying and giving of our intellect to it, that we would also uh, give our, ourselves to this, that we would yield uh, our strength and, and receive from you. For Lord, no matter how we may try, we will never perfect ourselves. We may improve certain aspects, but even with that, we then find ourselves becoming prideful about the change that we have seen from our own diligence. And so while we make progress in one sense, we regress in another. Only by your grace and only by the power of your spirit and your word that works upon us do we grow to be what we need to be, what you call us to be, and what we desire to be, which is to become like Jesus. So I pray that as we consider this word that you would use this to form us. Your spirit would speak to us to encourage us where we need to be encouraged, to correct where we need to be corrected to break us where we're hardened, and to mend where we are wounded. Lord, I pray that in all these things, this would be part of the process that we uh, undergo to become like Jesus. And I pray that as we come, we would be a people who come and cling to your promise, knowing that they are always true, that the work you began, you will see through to the end. Lord, shape us and mold us in our mind and in our lives. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been on the wrong end of a gift exchange? There's a couple of ways you can look at that. The more selfish among us might have had the experience where you gave a very thoughtful gift to somebody and they gave you a gift that you got the idea they didn't think much about at all. Wonder whether they think of you and you feel gypped. I'm not really thinking of those uh, times this way. I'm thinking really of the opposite way. There are times that you are, uh, have planned to exchange gifts with somebody and you've gone out and you've given careful consideration and, and went and, and purchased a, a gift for the person. And then the time comes where you exchange the gifts and you give your gift to that person. They give their gift to you and you open your gift first. And as you open the gift and you see the thoughts and the sacrifice that they put into the gift, you have this overwhelming dread in realizing that what they got you is so much better than what you got them. 
that you almost feel ashamed or embarrassed about the gift that you have. When that's happened to me, there have been times that I actually felt myself hoping that something would happen, a fire or an earthquake, that would keep them from opening the gift to see how thoughtless and inconsiderate I actually am. I hate that. It bugs me when that happens. Today we come to the first Sunday in Advent. It's a season that we celebrate the gift that God has given us of Jesus Christ. It's a season that we celebrate the gift that's given to us by giving gifts to people in our lives. We give gifts to family members, and we give gifts to friends. We give gifts to coworkers, and we even give gifts to strangers at times. All of those are, are worthy and, and appropriate ways of extending and expressing love, the love that has been given to us in Christ. We give gifts to those that we know and that we love as a tangible expression of the love that we feel for them. The gift can never fully capture it, but at least it tells them we are thinking of them and we know something about them, that we give them a gift that we think will, that they will enjoy and appreciate something about their personality. We give gifts to strangers, as Camper mentioned in the announcements. We had team go down to Operation Christmas Child. Many of you participate in that or, or other things where you provide gifts as an expression of love to people that you have never met and may never meet. And that's also appropriate for us as the recipients of the love of Christ to give gifts to people who haven't earned it or deserved it because the gift that we have has been given to us without having earned it or deserving it. But one thing that has always struck me about this season is that while we give a lot of thought and spend a lot of time and a lot of expense on gifts for all the people in our lives and even for people that are not necessarily in our life, too often, I think we give very little consideration to the gift that we're going to give to the actual birthday boy. We give him the delight of giving gifts to others, but what is it that we give to Jesus to celebrate his birthday? And the better part of this series, when we begin next week with that, is we'll be looking at the gifts that we do give to Jesus and things that are appropriate for him that we are able to give in ways that also will shape our lives. But this morning we want to look more, call it somewhat kind of a prequel. Because one of the things the gospel tells us is that we give in response to the gift that's given to us. We can't give to God and then expect to receive. It doesn't work that way. In fact, God gives to us in amazing ways that we can never really fathom. And it's in response to the grace, the grace that's been given to us, the gift that's been given to us, that we then desire to do things in response, to demonstrate love and, and act in tangible ways uh, toward God. And this morning, as we come to that consideration, we're reminded yet again, as our text tells us, that Jesus is a gift from God. Jesus is the gift that continues to give. Jesus is God's gift to us that we may have fellowship with him and we may know what love is and, and just innumerable gifts that we have in Jesus. But then Jesus himself also gives gifts to us. Paul in Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. What Paul speaks of there is he's saying God has given us Jesus and through Jesus, he blesses us because Jesus continues to give us every spiritual blessing. In other words, there are innumerable gifts, gifts that we can't possibly exhaust our consideration of when we, we think about Christ. But part of the spiritual journey, part of what this season is great 
uh, for us to, to, to do is to start and renew thinking about the gifts and the many ways that we are blessed in Christ because all of those are the gifts. We will not exhaust it. 30 days of December, 31 days of December are not sufficient, but it, it, it's a, a time that we can stop and just realize how tremendously we have been blessed. But while we can't consider all of the gifts that Jesus has given, I do want to just begin this morning, kind of prime the pump and consider a couple of the blessings, a couple of the gifts that we receive from Jesus as we anticipate and celebrate his birthday. As I think about it, the first one that comes to mind, perhaps the most obvious, is that Jesus left heaven and came to this earth so that when we leave this earth, we can go to heaven. Some of you have probably seen the TV show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And you watch that and you're not only stunned and amazed at the places and palaces where they live, but what also has been intriguing to me as I've watched it occasionally, I don't make a habit of it, but uh, I've watched it occasionally, is, is where they vacation, the vacation places of the rich and famous. These are luxurious, often exotic places that they have um, luscious accommodations at unimaginable expense. And because of the expense, it's usually isolated. Very few people can afford it. In fact, they want to go someplace that very few people can afford because they don't want to be around common, ordinary people like me. So they go where I can't possibly be. And so they show them on TV. They let the cameras come so that we can watch and see where they go. And they are in beautiful, beautiful places doing interesting things. One thing that's important and helpful for me to keep in mind is that no matter how awesome a place they may go, it pales in comparison to heaven. I mean, if you think about it, what do people say when they have experienced something that is the most enjoyable thing they've, they've done, they can remember doing, or they've been to some place that is the most breathtaking or the most beautiful place that they have been. They say, it was like a taste of heaven. So even people, whether they're believers or not, realize that what we experience in, the, in this life, even in the greatest places and the greatest experiences, it is nothing but a foretaste, a taste of something that is far better in fact, so great that it's beyond our ability to comprehend. We may imagine, but our imaginations do not do justice to the reality of what heaven is. Now, in one sense, we can imagine, we can get uh, some idea, because we're told that when Jesus returns and heaven is, is, comes to full fruition and those who are with Christ are in heaven, heaven will restore to earth. Earth will be restored to its original uh, uh, original status as God had created in a beauty. And while I understand that from a theological standpoint, it's really difficult for me to functionally imagine because one thing that I do know is that the earth as it exists now is under a curse. The curse will be lifted and we'll see the full beauty. But I can't comprehend what it would be like to be out west and to watch the Rockies come up over the horizon and saying, eh, it's okay, but it's under curse, you know, just kind of dull. Or to be in the Caribbean Sea and to see the, the, the aqua blue against the sky, just going and going and going, and, 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 just, and where the sky and the sea, they meet together and say, eh, it's all right. It's just kind of a little dirty, a little muddled. But that's the reality. 
As awesome as those things are, as the great taste of the beauty that we can have that are all around us, the great experiences that we can ha already have in this life, none of them compare to the reality of heaven. And heaven is Jesus' home. It's his rightful place. And Jesus left there willingly for you and for me so that as he comes and he became like us, he can take us one day to be with him and experience what he ex rightly experiences from all eternity. One of the statements that I often share is this, is that Jesus left the ultimate gated community to come to become a part of the ultimate decaying community. He did it simply because he loves us, because he wanted us to be with him. He didn't do it for himself. He did it for us because no matter who you are, no matter how much you have, no matter how much you may earn, you cannot purchase your way in. You can't go to this exotic lifestyle of the rich and famous. This is for those, according to Isaiah, who have nothing. Come, buy, and eat, you who have nothing. Why spend your money on that which cannot endure? Receive freely, and we receive in Christ. Jesus left his home in heaven come to this earth so that when we leave this earth, we may go to heaven. Jesus endured a physical birth so that we might have a spiritual birth. The birth process is not easy. I am not a doctor nor an expert in this. I've been through this three times. I can tell you it's traumatic. It was traumatic for my wife, too. Um, <laughs> When my first son was born, the doctor asked me if I would like to cut the cord, and I said, only if you're going to cut the bill. <laughs> when the epidural came out, I went to my knees. My wife, knowing my love and affinity for needles, said, are you okay? I said, I'm praying. Um, <laughs> it's a holy occasion. She didn't buy it. She's, I still can't convince her of that. But the birth process is obviously causes trauma for the woman delivering, causes trauma for some of us husbands as well. But from what I understand, it also causes a trauma for the babies. It's a high-stress situation. And the reason that there is a soft spot in the skull of every infant is because when the baby is about to come through the birth canal, the head actually reshapes, collapses is the word that was used in one article. So the skull collapses so the baby can make his or her way out of the birth canal, and then the head goes back into some semblance of human shape form, and then the soft spot uh, then eventually hardens up. But it's a trauma, traumatic thing. I, I assume having your head collapse would be a traumatic thing. <laughs> and I don't remember it firsthand, but I would understand that that's the case. And Jesus was willing to endure, chose to endure the trauma of a physical birth. But even the trauma of the physical birth that he endured is nothing as compared to the other trauma that took place. Because Jesus endured not just an identity trauma, but he endured also an eternal trauma. See, Jesus, when he left heaven to come to this earth and experience a physical birth, he left his position, his rightful place as God, recognized by everyone as God, honored, worshipped, valued, 
perfect fellowship with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit, unbroken, undiminished, had all knowledge, everything of being God. That is what Jesus had and who, because of who Jesus is. And yet when he came to become like us, he set aside all of his glory to take human form. And it's eternal because he's locked into that human form for all of eternity. Jesus continues as he was on earth. He is today and will be for all eternity. He is always God. He has always been God. But now, ever since his incarnation, his coming to us in the first place, he became man and continues, even as he's in heaven today, existing as humanity. He is the perfect blend, or the actual, he's actually fully God, fully man, together. And he will be for all eternity. Now, that's a theological truth, and it, but it really comes home as I, as I spend some time thinking about it. He, he lowered himself to become like us, so that to walk where we walk, to feel what we feel, experience what we experience. He, he humbled himself. And ultimately, he died the death that we should have died so that he could communicate and help us to understand what God is like, what is our need, how much God loves us. Imagine for a moment that you jog through your neighborhood on a regular basis, and somewhere down the street there is a house that the owner has two Rottweilers who anxiously await your appearance each morning. And every time they sense you coming, smell you, hear you, see you, they begin their growling and barking and make a mad rush only to be kept in the yard by a fence and a gate that is never opened. Day after day, you jog by, and they never seem to get used to it. Every day, it's the same routine. You jog by, you mind your own business, you may look over that way, you try to look nice and kind and show them that you're friendly, you like dogs, you don't want to be their enemy, you don't want to get into a fight, and you would never, never, never call the pound to take these Rottweilers off someplace. But they keep snarling, growling, barking, and slobbering every time you go through. Now, imagine you wanted to communicate with them some way, and you wanted to show them and tell them, look, I'm your friend. How would you do it? You could stop your jog and walk over to the fence and try to explain to them. You could talk with them and say, look, I'm nice. I like dogs. I'm fine. But no matter what you explain to them, they would never understand. Even if they stopped their snarling and growling and barking at you because they realized that you were friendly, they would never really understand. They would certainly not know the motives. They cannot understand because you are human. They're a dog. They will never understand because it is entirely, entirely different. But what if you wanted to communicate with them? What if you were somehow able to become one of them? To become a dog? To experience what they experience? Then you would be able to somehow communicate with them. Now, obviously, that's a ridiculous idea, a ridiculous notion. But the reason I share that is because it's important for us as we consider the gift that Jesus gave of himself. It's important for us to understand that if somehow we were able to turn ourselves into Rottweilers, not just for a time, but even for all eternity, that the, the Jesus becoming like us is a greater step down than our being turned into dogs for all eternity. We are created after the image of God. 
and the animals are animals, so I'm not suggesting that people are not higher than a dog. But while we are created after the image of God, we are created. We are creation. We are creatures. And Jesus is the creator. He is God. He is the one from everlasting to everlasting. He knows no beginning. He knows no end. He is perfect. He is holy. He is never created. And so for him to become like us is a bigger step down than if somehow we were possibly able to become a dog. And Jesus willingly did that as a demonstration of love for us. He humbled himself. He lowered himself. He was born. He had a physical birth so that we might be born again. Jesus speaking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3 says that unless you are born again, you, you can never see the kingdom of God. You can never see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus realizing just the absolute ridiculousness of such a statement, about as ridiculous as suggesting you become a dog. He says, how's that going to happen? And Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And Jesus was the living embodiment in trying to help Nicodemus understand because he had become like Nicodemus so that Nicodemus could understand God, understand God's love, understand that Jesus himself is the way. And by believing in him, we have spiritual birth. Or way better, we have spiritual birth in order to believe in him. Jesus had an earthly mother so that you and I can enjoy a heavenly father. Because Jesus became man, I, I can have a relationship with my father. And it's during this time of year that I'm reminded yet again to, to think about that and to realize how thankful I can be to have the relationship with the Heavenly Father. But I know in, in speaking with in any size group, but particularly a, a congregation of this size, that there, there's no question that there are some of you out there who are thinking, you know, my, my earthly father wasn't that hot. He's cold, he was distant, ornery. In some cases, tragically, perhaps even abusive. If that's your situation, I, I suspect that you may be thinking at times, I, I don't need another father to tell me what to do. I, don't need, I need, don't need anyone else in my life, even if it just, that's not what I'm looking forward to. Please understand, I know you've probably heard it before, but please understand, our Father in Heaven is perfect, holy, and loving. Jesus dealt with this very issue when he was speaking to his disciples and to those who are listening to him teach. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus, in this case, wasn't even dealing, wasn't even talking necessarily about fathers who would be abusive or neglectful. He's saying even the best of us. Essentially, we're evil. I mean, we, our hearts are, are selfish, they're deceitful. Uh, we, and yet, even with that, most of you here, I hope, who are fathers, are probably planning on giving gifts to your children of some sort over Christmas, even if it's just the gift of your presence. 
if you who are evil know how to good gifts, how much more will God? And so Jesus is making a contrast and saying, you know what? God is so much greater than even the best of fathers. And so for those who have unfortunately had to endure and experience fathers who were somewhat lacking, the analogy carries even more. God is holy and he is good. The psalmist says this, no good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. In other words, it's a promise of giving a gift. Of, he does not withhold any good thing. The catch is on the idea of those whose walk is blameless. We can look at that and we can assume that that just means, okay, well, that might be true if I was pure and holy. It's a catch. Always read the fine print. But we need to consider what the whole of the Bible teaches. If you were just to read that verse isolated, it might not necessarily be good news. Or it might motivate you to try to be really good, but you'd never achieve what you need to, be, to achieve. To actually be blameless where there's not anything in you, there's no fault whatsoever. You and I aren't going to accomplish that. But the gospel tells us this, and when we think of the gospel first and then read this promise. The gospel tells us this, the one whose walk is blameless is not the one who does less bad stuff. We can't be blameless, except that when we believe in what Jesus has done, why he was born, because Jesus was born to die, and when he went to death, he took upon himself our sin, our misery, the punishment we deserve, died the death that we should have died, and then he rose again to give us hope, faith, and gave us the victory. There was a great exchange that took place at that time because those who believe in what Jesus has accomplished, he took our debt and our misery, and then we, in exchange, were given credit to have for his righteousness. In fact, we are now declared to be blameless in the sight of God if we are trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, with that understanding, we consider what the psalmist again says. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. In other words, if you are walking and you are trusting in Jesus Christ, if your life is characterized by trust in Christ, or if, as you've received Jesus, you're declared blameless. That's what, by God himself, the one who's legally making that, and his promise is he withholds no good thing from those whose walk is blameless. It's the character and the love of our God. In other words, if something is good, he's not going to hold it back. Now, I know it's Christmas season, and so here what's going to happen, if it hasn't already, is that on TNT or TBS, we're going to have a nonstop running of the Christmas story every day, 24 hours a day. I may be one of the few people in America who can say that honestly that I have never actually watched the whole movie through. In fact, that was evident in the first service when I gave the illustration and I gave the wrong name. But anyway, that's... Um, <laughs> but nevertheless... As I recall, and many of you could probably quote, know where I'm going with this uh, from the very beginning, the promise of God is no good thing will he withhold. If anything is good, he's not going to withhold it. You may remember in the, in the Christmas story that Ralphie wanted a rifle, but he was told, no, you're going to shoot your eye out. I don't know if any of your kids have ever wanted gifts that were somewhat inappropriate. My younger son, Matthew, had wanted a, a shotgun and a, an authentic saber. Now, he's 20, and so that's not that big of a deal. He's a hunter, and he's safe, and he's responsible. But he was asking for this when he was eight. And <laughs> we thought it wasn't necessarily appropriate at the time. I know of one guy whose son wanted a tarantula for Christmas. 
The guy said, I thought that was a little weird, but I, you know, he didn't really know much about tarantulas, so he went down to the exotic pet store and inquired, and the guy that was working there was, well, a little weird, and he said, dude, it's great. <laughs> Do they bite? Well, yeah, they bite. And can you die? Well, yeah, you can die if they bite you, which is already putting a damper. And he says, but one thing that's cool is they can jump 20 feet towards their target. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and apparently, if they miss their target and are going from high heights, they somehow hit and they explode. So anyway, that's, <laughs> he didn't get a son, the tarantula. The promise that God has made is that no good thing will he withhold. And so one of the things that we know, because our God is good, is that if there's something you don't get right now, it's probably because our Father, being good, knows that it's either going to bite you or explode on you. <laughs> but everything that is good, He promises and He will provide. Jesus was born to an earthly mother so that we may have a relationship with a heavenly Father. And last, Jesus was, that I want to touch on this morning, Jesus was born in a manger so that one day we can live in a mansion. Certainly touches back to the beginning as where I began where, uh, when I said that, uh, that, that Jesus left heaven to come to earth so that we may, when we leave earth, we can go to heaven because Jesus himself has made this place. Jesus was born in the humblest of places, in a, in a stall. But he promises an eternal mansion that he is personally preparing for us. Turn with me to John chapter 14. These familiar words, I'm not going to elaborate much on. I just want to touch on them just as a reminder of the gifts that Jesus, the gifts of Jesus and the gifts from Jesus. In John 14, Jesus is speaking with his disciples as he's preparing to go. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare, prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is preparing a place for you that will make any of the lifestyle and rich and famous pale will make their homes look like my house. You can live there, but why want to live in such a dump? Actually, that's not fair. And if you know anybody that's wanting to buy a house in Bristol, uh, it's, it's nice. It belongs to Lifestyle Rich. It's famous. Thought I'd throw that commercial out there right now. But what an awesome thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus, who is a gift, who loves you so much that he wants you to be with him. It's a celebration. In some cultures, we have parents that give homes to a newlywed couple. Just a gift on the, at their wedding day so that they can begin their life. To a large degree, we see this is what Jesus is also doing. Except Jesus is the bridegroom who has been preparing the house, even the house of his father, part of his father's mansion. Because when Jesus comes back, there's going to be a wedding that is taking place where Jesus will take his church, his bride, all of us, to be with him, and we live with him for eternity. And he is preparing a house, a glorious house for us as to present to you, for you to dwell in with him. These are some of the gifts that our God gives to us during these, this Christmas season. And again, in no way are they 
as just an exhaustive list, but these are just a, a, a picture of ways in which Jesus has enriched us through his becoming poor, becoming like us. He has enriched us in these tangible ways. And during this Advent season, I want to encourage you to, to give some thought, not only to these, but other ways in which you have been enriched because of what Christ has done, that his coming into the flesh. But as I wrap up, I want to move back just for a moment to the, the gift exchange. Jesus has given us a gift that is greater than we would ever be able to reciprocate. Again, Jesus gave his gift first. He gave us his gift when we were not planning to get him anything. The scripture says we were his enemies. And the gifts that we give to him are merely responses. Again, we're going to look over the next few weeks of ways that we can give gifts to him, but they are responses to him. And no matter how good our gifts are, we are going to be on the short end of the gift giving if we measure it by how much we can give, if we pride ourselves on being the one who gives more than we get, we can't possibly outgive them. In most of my relationships, that makes me very uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable even in my spiritual relationship. I want to earn. I know I can't, but something within me just wants, I know I can't earn it in advance. I want to deserve it in, re in response. And it can't happen. And there's a danger of that, at least in, in relationships, in, in relationships that we might have with one another, is when you cannot give a gift that you, you can't match the gift that is given to you. To make us feel uncomfortable in receiving the gift, to diminish our enjoyment of the gift, which as if somehow that is going to neutralize things. Some cases we might even try to say, oh, no, no, I, I don't deserve it. I can't, I, you know, I can't possibly. And I want to challenge you, if you are inclined that way in your spiritual relationship with the Lord, to just think about it again and realize that there's a gift that you can give today to God by receiving the gift that he has given to you in Jesus Christ. See, if you are the one who is on the better gift giving end and you give a gift to somebody that you love that is beyond what they could get for themselves or anything that they could give to you how would you feel if they kind of said no thanks no matter how graciously or gently they they said that It'd break your heart so you're giving as an expression of your own love you want them to receive and you want them to enjoy and you have such joy in giving the gift that that is a gift that they can give to you from the very beginning. It's just to accept and to show the joy they have. In a moment, Preston's going to lead us at the table. And this is a gift that Jesus, the gift from God, Jesus has given to us that we may know and be reminded of how great his love is for us. Receive Jesus. Delight in him. And in so doing, you are giving a gift to God our Father and to Christ who gave you this meal. Let me pray as Preston will come and lead us. Father, as we come to this table, I pray that we would be reminded of how great your love is and what you have done for us and what Jesus has given.
For he said that no one takes my life, I lay it down. This is perfect love. Father, we who are here, I pray, would open our hearts to receive this love. If it makes us uncomfortable, then good. For Lord, this pure and perfect and tremendous love should make us uncomfortable. But it also should comfort us as we are afflicted. It should heal us, heal us as we are wounded. It should break us as we are proud. Father, let us receive this gift with great joy and thankfulness for Christ. And let that be our gift to you. I pray in Jesus. Amen.